Welcome to the Only One Shot Golf Podcast. I'm Jim Gallagher, Jr. Special thanks to Steve Azar for allowing us to use his music. And you can find Steve at steveazar.com. Don't forget to subscribe to wherever you get your podcast and get your copy of Only One Shot by VJ Trollio. It's available on Amazon. Today we're going to go to the great outdoors with Cuz Strickland of the Mossy Oak Company, the camouflage company, hunting company. They're in the real estate, they're a little bit of everything. Cuz and I have been friends for many, many years, and it goes all the way back to when we filmed my first duck hunting show back here in the Mississippi Delta. And uh, Cuz has been a good friend and we look forward to hearing some of his great hunting stories, some of the video stories, and some golf stories, and how golf and, and hunting in the outdoors kind of cross over a lot, and some of the similarities, and uh, we appreciate him spending some time for it with us. So let's get Cuz on the line. Hey, this is a dream come true. I never dreamed I'd be on a golf podcast, because you, you know how much I love it. But my game just it, it it doesn't it doesn't rank up there to be on a golf podcast. So I'm thrilled to death. I always love talking to you. Well, because I always like to ask my guests, uh, who kind of got them started uh, in golf? But uh, who got you started out in the great outdoors and got you out there in the fishing? Because you always have to have somebody, whether it's a family member or a good friend, uh, to get somebody out there because we just don't go out there on our own. But who was the person who influenced you the most and really got you to kind of fall in love with the great outdoors? Well, you know, my dad, he was a 20-year military guy, spent his, most of his life in the Army, and his his deal was fishing. He loved to fish. And I always tell people he was a, he's still the best fisherman I ever knew that didn't have a boat. We lived in Natchez down there by the Mississippi River. And we, we did a lot of bank fishing, a lot of lake fishing. We'd rent a boat every once in a while. But he he instilled in me early on, outside is the place to be. And we we didn't have any land to hunt. We hunted in the Homochitta National Forest, and I just fell in love with that. And he would go hunting maybe once a year. But – uh. And I had an older brother who stuck with the fishing, and I just loved the hunting. And uh, I just I just fell in love with it. Like I said, I missed my senior year in high school. I missed like 43 days. And my principal called me in the office, and he called me Strick. He said, Strick, if you miss one more day, buddy, you're not graduating. So I had to tighten up and <laughs> – that was a good that was a good reality check for me but he he was a my dad was a great guy he, he loved to play golf he's like me kind of hack but you know he kept us outside and I, I just fell in love with just about anything outdoors but you play a lot of other sports too outside golf and, and you play sports in between as well because you couldn't hunt all day long you had to, i mean you you could hunt all day long, but <laughs> you play other sports yeah i was i was really into baseball little league baseball loved that made the all-star teams did all that kind of stuff i was chunky so i was either catching or pitching that was it and i didn't i wasn't like a position player but i could hit and played a little football and then midway through my I think it was my junior year. I signed up. They used to have a program in high school when I was young called DE, Distributive Education. You could get out at noon if you had a job. And, man, I jumped all over that with both feet, so I had to quit playing football. But uh, that allowed me to buy more fishing lures and hunting ammo and stuff like that. So 
Yeah, the outdoors. Well, what exactly was your job? <laughs> uh, my job back then, I worked at a grocery store, and I was working 40-something hours a week as a junior in high school and had my own car. I learned early on, you know, the, the value of a dollar. And uh, that's, that, you know, working with something I just loved. It, to me, it was like a hobby. But I did bag groceries, put up stock, and that's where I met my wife. Thank God I was working in that grocery store. She used to come in with her mom and her sister, and all three of them were knockouts. And the mom and the little sister would flirt with me, and she wouldn't she wouldn't give me the time of day, but I stuck it out. And uh, anyway, we've <laughs> been married 47 years, so it worked out. You know, kids, we're always trying because we're trying to get uh, figure out how to get kids involved. But how do you get people, new people involved and getting in the great outdoors and the hunting, the fishing? How do we get them out there? Because I know it's always a struggle with golf to get people started. But once they get started, I know they love it. But how do you all get people and influence them to get started? Well, you know, it's funny you ask that because the analogy I give, I'll talk about this. I do a lot of talks, done thousands of seminars and stuff. And I always use the golf analogy when it comes to hunting. I said, hunting's not like golf. If you really want to get into golf, you can you can go to the, the local golf course and find somebody to instruct you. And it may cost you 20 bucks for an hour or whatever. You can't get that in hunting. you got to have a mentor. That's why mm-hmm. I, tell, I, I, I tell people all the time, if you, really, if you really love it, if you really dearly love it, you have to pass it on. The way you do that is you teach other people. People that hunt and fish a lot, they don't have to worry about their kids getting it. Their kids will get it. It's those other kids whose parents don't do it, have never been in, involved in any way. Those are the ones you got to reach out to. And when you mentor someone, it takes a long time. It, you're giving of your time then, which is the most valuable thing you have. But, you know, right now is probably a really good time because – there's so many people interested in it because of the food aspect. Everybody's wanting to know where, mm-hmm. their, where their food comes from. I sit on the board of the National Deer Association, which used to be QDMA, and they started setting up these things at uh, farmer's markets, cooking venison. And when people would come over, they'd say, oh, I love venison, if, and I don't know how to hunt. And we, we did a, uh, like a 30-person hunt with just people who signed up to go hunting, and the diversity of that group was unbelievable. But all they were interested in was gathering their own protein. And they, they weren't scared of shooting a crossbow or a gun or whatever. What what was kind of holding them back was what to do with the deer after they got it down. They, they mm. couldn't, and, and that's what we were teaching them. You know, there's deer processors there. This is how you do that. But people, man, they're dialed into that. And that's a good thing. So, uh, you know, believe it or not, hunting's in a pretty good place right now. You mentioned the uh, food aspect and how you, you know, had a great time with that and teaching people how to process the deer. But, uh, you know, you, you bring out the kids and, and how do you keep them engaged? Because it can get pretty slow out there. You can't always, uh, the deer aren't always moving. But how do you keep those kids, uh, you know, kind of occupied when things are slow? And, and what are some of the things you've done and passed on to your grandkids that maybe some of the folks are getting their kids or their grandkids out there? What are some of the advice you had to them to keep them interested? Uh, and you mentioned a mentor, but... Uh, Tell us about that. Yeah, I wrote an article in the magazine, and I don't remember the name of it, but it was all about that. And and where people go wrong, especially people who are just like, they're all about it. Hunting and fishing is their life. They they try to put too much on them when they're little. And I say, look, here's the frame of mind. you got to remember this is about them, not you. It's not about them killing a deer or 
catching a fish or shooting a turkey with this is about them having fun so i always tried to make it like i i say i'm going to be the guide and i'm going to teach them everything i can when we're walking to the woods we stop there's a deer track you know there's a come look at this spider web this plan is this that's kind of stuff and i always made sure they were comfortable because deer hunting and duck you're a duck hunter i'm not but that, any of that stuff can be real uncomfortable so you got to put time limits on it. When you see they've kind of had enough, back out and go do something else. And don't, you know, don't just constantly harp on them about being still and doing this kind of stuff. If you make it fun, they're going to go back. They, they want to be with mom and dad or Uncle Frank or Aunt Jill, whoever it is. You got to make it fun, but you got to get in the mindset, look, this ain't about me. It's about them. I want to teach them everything. And in turn, they'll start teaching their other friends. I, one time I took my one of my youngest daughter, Lauren, one of her first trips. She was six. I think she was six. And we were walking down this place to go sit down somewhere, and I stopped it. It just got through raining, and I, and I took a big sniff, and I said, you smell that? And she said, what is it? And I said, that's, that's the woods, and that's the only place you can smell this is in the woods. And I was like, you know, me, big bad dad, ten, year, <laughs> ten years later, we're taking a, an inner city kid from this group called Camp Compass, and Lauren, who was six at the time, she's now a teenager. She's the guy, and I'm just filming. And they're walking down to where they're going to go get in this deer blind, and she stops and she does that. She takes a big sniff and tells that girl, that's the woods. And I almost started crying. I'm like, she remembered that from 10 years ago. So you just kind of got to be a teacher and a guide, make it interesting for them. Well, you know, because you mentioned a, a mentor, and, and mine was Ed Meeks. I mean, I didn't grow up hunting, and, and, you know, golf was our life. We played basketball in the wintertime up in Indiana, but my dad, when I moved down here and married Sissy, he wanted me to have a hobby, so he made sure that uh, Ed kind of worked hard and, 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 you know, found a hobby for me, and it was hunting, and I remember the first time they took me, we went up to some kick em up quail, and I chased that quail up and down the hills, and it went on for 10, 15 minutes. Finally, Sissy and Ed just sat down, and they said, well, he'll eventually just die of exhaustion, and then all of a sudden, he looked down, there was the quail just breathing as heavy as he could. I never did hit him, but, uh, you know, that was a, always a fun time, and, and, and he, you know, he started me duck hunting, and that's one of the things, you know, I always enjoyed to do with him, and he always stressed safety. That was the number one thing, and I remember the first time they took me, I was in the middle. There were three of us in a boat, and they said, you got to keep down. you got to keep still, and and of course I did. I never moved. And bang, 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 they shot. And I jumped up and all the ducks were gone. And they did it a couple times. About the third time, I kind of figured I was just out there just uh, so they could have another limit. But uh, taught me some patience and I caught on pretty quick uh, what they were pulling on me. But, you know, it was just always funny. Taught me all those things. We had some great times together. I remember we were out there in the scatters. We'd sit there and hadn't seen a duck in 45 minutes. He was, oh, there's that one o'clock flight. It'll be coming in here in a minute. Just be patient. And I'd wait and wait and wait. And you know, there are suddenly these flies, you know, a bunch of ducks would fly in. I'm going like, man, he knows this stuff. And he convinced me. And to this day, I still believe that there was a one o'clock flight coming in. But, you know, he'd take my kids out. He took Mary Langdon out on that Bronco and a 69 Bronco. She's about 12 years old. She can't even touch the pedals. And he taught her how to drive that with a three on a tree. And, and just those great times we had out at, out at Teoc and, and priceless times that he passed on to us. And I'll always be grateful uh, for him and, and his mentorship, not only to me and, and also to my kids, it's like you said, it's, it's what you have to do, and it's what uh, makes you know being out in the outdoors uh, and golf so much as you pass on those, you know, how to be proper and how to go by the rules, and, and, and you enjoy yourself. 
you host the uh, show Hunting the Country, and uh, you've had some really cool hunts on there. But uh, what's one of your favorite kind of non-golf-related type of hunts? There's got to be one that kind of sticks out that's pretty special to you. Do you have one that uh, comes to mind? Non-golf-related. Really yeah. non I, I do want to tell about how we got into the golf television, but the non People ask me that all the time, and yet I have to separate hunts with my family because those, they can't get any more special than that. But as far as a non-family member, the most special hunt I've ever had was with a kid. I think he was eight at the time. His name's Ryan Welch. And he was like the third kid we took from the Catcher Dream Foundation. Yep. And you know you know well what that is. The Catcher Dream Foundations, they, they do stuff for very seriously ill children that – make a wish won't do anyway his wish and he had just had a malignant brain tumor removed his wish was he wanted to go turkey hunting with me or will primos well that alone was so much weight on my shoulder that i couldn't believe but anyway we got the letter they called me and we put the hunt together and i said i told i went and told toxie i said here's what's going on he, he and he didn't ask for a budget he didn't ask for where or when or where he said make it happen so I said, I'm taking this kid to Texas because Ray Charles can kill a turkey in Texas. I mean, it, it, back then it was like turkey's city. So it ended up being Ryan, who was eight, his little brother, and their dad named Roger. So I took him to Texas and picked him up at the Dallas airport. I'm going to try to give you the short version of this. But anyway, it rained for three straight days. It never rains like that in Texas. It was so hard. And this little kid, he had a lot of balance issues. He had a lot of stuff he was dealing with. But I would take him and put him, like, I would sit down and I'd pull him up between my legs and he would just raise that gun and sit there like a rock. So I started calling him the rock. And long story short, the last 30 minutes of the last day, on the way back to the hunting lodge, it quit raining. And he killed a turkey. And I'm telling wow. you, I've never, I've never felt like that. I was, I was, I didn't sleep any. I was drink at night. I was like, what can I do? What can I do? He killed a turkey, and it was the most. It affected me more than anything. And I got to be friends with his mom and his dad. And we would email back and forth. And about a year after that, or two years, I get a letter from his mom. I'm like, oh God, I'm not, I'm not opening that letter. I just put it on my desk. And I looked at it and looked at it, and I just couldn't bring myself to open that letter. I just felt like it was going to be bad news about him. And anyway, I opened the letter, and what it was was some pictures of him in his baseball uniform, and he had his back to the camera lens, and he was showing off his jersey, which on the back had the rock instead of, instead of his name. But had I just opened the letter a couple of weeks earlier, I would have saved some grief. But And, we, you know, we took him back 20 years later to the same place. His dad and his little brother, his little brother's now like 6'6", six, six, and he killed a turkey on the same ranch 20 years later. So that's my favorite non-golf oh. non hunt, I think. So. All right, guys, we got to talk about one of my favorite videos you put out about your grandson, Cranky, the Cranky Chronicles. That is the most priceless videos. These are the most priceless videos I've ever seen, and him chasing the turkey, I think he called him the devil, and it went on for, I don't know, over a year or so, and just, you, you you kept us all engaged with that. We couldn't wait to see what he had to say next, and he was just a little kid, I mean, but he spoke like an adult, like a pro. 
I'm probably got to watch out for my job. He's probably coming after it. But uh, uh, tell us a little about Cranky and, and why you started kind of taking uh, uh, the videos and, and sending them out to everybody. It's unbelievable. He's my youngest grandson. I have four grandchildren. My oldest is 17, headed to Mississippi State. And I uh, have three boys that kind of there, and uh, Walker and Matt, who's Cranky's older brother, and Cranky, who's the littlest one, cotton top, white hair, and he is – He's very unique, and I knew he was unique from the get-go because most kids, when you when you're around them with video gear and all, they clam up and they get. And Cranky never paid any attention to that camera and could carry on an adult conversation at age six or seven. It was un- <laughs> unbelievable. Killed a deer when he was five years old and all, but he he kind of struggled with turkey hunting because he has trouble being quiet sometimes and being still. So I started. Just chronically, I made a video every time we went turkey hunting, and I have a YouTube channel, and I would put the hunt up there with Cranky. We were unsuccessful, unsuccessful, but he was struggling, paying his dues, and the second year we were hunting the same little bitty patch of wood, same turkeys up in there gobbling, and we had nicknamed this turkey the devil because he was just hard to kill and i was moving ground blinds i even put out trail cameras i was killing myself trying to get cranky to shoot this turkey and finally he did and i put that video up there cranky kills the devil and it i'm telling you it's had more views than anything i've ever seen but cranky's this unique he he, he he's one of those kids who's very respectful People love that, number one. You can put a kid photo up on social media or a dog or food, and it does good. But people just kind of migrated to him, and he is uh, he's a cat now and loves to play golf. He's got his own little set of clubs. And, he's look, he's got it figured out now. You can't teach him anything. Oh, yeah. You can't teach him nothing. But uh, he's uh, he's got it figured out. So he's, uh, he's fun to watch. You know, I found out that people love – that family-oriented stuff, even as crazy as social media in our world is now, good, wholesome stuff, people just migrate to it, and they love it. And that's one good thing about all the cranky videos is it's just good stuff. It's funny, and it's real. Well, you mentioned uh, cranky and how much he loves golf, but uh, y'all kind of created a show called Second Season. It was hosted by uh, Hal Sutton. How did, how did that kind of idea come upon and how did you get it onto the golf channel? Cause I'm sure that wasn't the easiest thing back then. They weren't doing a lot of non golf related uh, type shows, but uh, how did you get it started and who came up with the idea and who helped you out the most? You know, it's, it's amazing when the internet first started coming out, I told you how big, and I followed golf big time. I just loved it. And I was, when the internet finally started and I could figure out how to get on there a little bit, I was looking at you guys, they had a PGA page and all that stuff. And I was absolutely stunned how many of the golfers, when you dug into their bio listed hunting and fishing, hunting and fishing, hunting, I was like, man, there's a television show there. there. That is a huge crossover right there. And I went to Toxie and I said, man, we need to put a show on the golf channel. It was just getting rolling good and. You know, we we had we already knew how to film hunting and fishing, so I built a I built a pilot. This is the this is a pretty funny story, and I I couldn't get I couldn't get next to you guys. Nobody knew who we were in the golf world, but I found uh, I think this guy's name was Dave Holt. He worked for Nike Golf, and uh, I met him somewhere, and he was a big time hunter. So I said I'm gonna take him and a caddy. I forgot who the caddy was, but. 
I took them to hunting and I built the pilot for second season. And it was pretty good. The hunting was real good. Anyway, showed it to the went down there and showed it to the golf channel, basically got thrown out. They're like, You're cuz and you want to do what on the golf channel? It wasn't it wasn't <laughs> they weren't enthralled with my pilot. So I kept digging and I went to a an event, I think it was a Nike event, but I, I saw Gary Nicholas. And Gary Nicholas was a big time, big time hunter. Loved to yep. bow hunt, and he recognized me, and we got to talking. And he said, "Yeah, I'll, I'll go with you." So I set up this bow hunt with Gary Nicholas, and I think, "Mm-hmm, that'll that'll be a pilot right there." So three days before, and I'm taking him to Texas to this place down there near Victoria. It's a great place, bow hunting only. And about three days before he's uh, scheduled to arrive, I'm packing up to get ready to go down there. He calls me and says, "Hey, my dad wants to come." I'm like, mm. "Oh gosh." I'm like, uh, yeah, that'd be Jack. I said, yeah, yeah, that'd be okay. yeah that's okay. So to, and at this point, and look, nothing, nothing bothers me, but at that point I'm like, wow. So anyway, I get down there and it's, it ends up being Jack Nicholas and his oldest son, Jackie, Gary, mm-hmm. Gary, one of the other brothers and Jackie's son. I can't remember Jackie's son. He was 12 years old, I think, but we had those five people in camp for three and a half days. Uh, Jack Nicholas killed a deer with a, a a compound bow, shooting a calf hair tab with his fingers, 38 yards, hadn't shot his bow. When he gets there and he unpacks his bow, I'm looking at it, and I'm, I asked him, I said, Mr. Jack, you want to shoot your bow, son? No, it was fine. You know, he he's there because those boys are there. Anyway, he shoots, right. he shoots a deer at 38 yards, 10 rings it. The thing just just runs a little bit and falls over, and I'm like, "Tell me, tell me the camera was rolling." Anyway, we hunted and had the best time, and he did the best interview probably I've ever done. Uh, at the end of it, and he we never I never asked him one golf question. All he wanted to talk about was his boys. His 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 big deals, you know, fly fishing and stuff like that. But he mm-hmm. said, "I do this because my boys want to do it." And anyway, I put that pilot together, and guess what? The golf channel. <laughs> They were impressed. They jumped, at that one. They, jumped yeah. on, they jumped on that one. And, uh, and once well, I had, say that. Go, go ahead. ahead. Once, once they had uh, that one pilot done, and Jack was so kind. It was at the end of the interview. He told me, he said, he said, cuz, we've had the best time. If I can ever do anything for you, let me know. And I said, well, since you brought it up, if you know anybody at the Golf Channel, I'd like to reinsert this pilot. And literally, by the time I got home, I had like 20 missed calls from people at the Golf Channel wanting me to bring that pilot. And, and you know, wow. th- then it was a – once Jack put the word out and we had this pilot, and the way we did it is so when we shot the show and we finished it, I would send it ahead of time to whoever it was because – I wanted that trust factor because, I mean, that's a big deal. You know, when we take somebody sure. from the PGA Tour, it's like, look, we just wanted you to talk about hunting and fishing. We're not trying to, you know, get some kind of off-the-wall quote or something. And that trust factor came out, and, then, you know, we, man, we lined them up. We had you and Fuzzy, and it was just tons of people we took on that thing, and it was the most fun I've ever had. Yeah, it was it was really good. And Jack Nicholas, you you said it. I've been to his house, and you know he's as you said, just loves the outdoors. But he loves to get Jack's attention. You talk about his family, and now it's his grandkids, and you talk about hunting or fishing. It's yep. not about golf. And you, I had him for thirty minutes, just 
I mean, it was a big party going on, and we just talked about all that in the outdoors, how much he loved it, spending time with his kids. And he actually, when he built Annadale down in Madison, he would come up here and duck hunt just outside uh, at Teoc. At, uh, I can't think of the place up there, but he would hunt up here in Greenwood. And a couple of my friends, this is before Sissy and I got married, and they said, hey, there was, we were here, and Jack Nicholas was in, you know, Bill Stoller's store or wherever. I said, yeah, yeah, he was building Anandale, but he just, you know, he just is a normal person other than the greatest player that ever played the game, but he loved the outdoors. And, and I'm not surprised that he did that with his boys and enjoyed that. He was wonderful. But there was a story, and we're going to tell it, but Fuzzy pulled a pretty good prank on Craig Stadler with a game warden oh my uh, on one of the shows. And you've got to tell that story because that's like my all-time. The visual's way better. They're not telling it, but I need to tell that story because that's priceless. It is priceless. And, you know, Fuzzy Fuzzy jumped on board big time. You know, I went with him to Alaska, and, uh, man, it was a tough hunt. Seven days up there, it was – it was. But man, he's such a nice guy. But him and Craig Stadler were big buddies. And after we made a, a show or two with uh, Fuzzy, he said, look, I'm going to take Craig Stadler, and we're going to go turkey hunting after the Masters. And – uh he said, you got anything close? And I went, yeah, man, I got some real good buddies in, in South Carolina. And he and, and me and Tax set this hunt up, and we were going to take Fuzzy and Craig Stadler turkey hunting. Well, that ain't enough. Fuzzy wants to play a joke on him. So anyway, we get we get up there plenty of time, and they're playing in the Masters and all that. And we get everybody's hunting license, and I we get Fuzzy his, and we just keep Craig Stadler's. And just Fuzzy says, hey, they got them on them. Don't worry about it. So all right, now we got Craig Stadler's hunting license, but he don't have them on him. So we set up this scheme where there's a couple of game wardens who really want to meet these guys. But the first day, they're going to walk out to this old bridge on this county road with our videographer camera guy and Craig Stadler. That's where we're going to pick them up from after the morning hunt. Well, Tax up on the hill. He's filming from one angle. The guy that's with him has got Craig Stadler wired, so he's got another camera. So they walk out, and they're standing on the county bridge, and here comes the game warden, and he's in on it. So he walks down there, and he's talking, you know, and you can. And Craig Statler has set his gun down, and uh, he asks him for his hunting license, and he reaches up, and he says, well, I, they, they got him for me. We're here with the Mossy Oak guys, and he's like, well, you're supposed to have your hunting license on him, and the guy's reaching for his ticket book, and Craig Statler is, like, kicking rocks. You know how he's acting <laughs> He's got his head down. He's walking back and forth and all this. So he's going to play the golf cart. Now he, and this game warden's a big old boy. He's like 6'2 and 300 pounds. He walks up to him and said, you know, my name's Craig Stadler, and I just got through playing in the Masters down there in Augusta. And he looks at him and doesn't crack a smile, and he says, yes, sir, I don't follow golf. That's the funniest line I've ever heard in my life. And anyway, the the camera guy's in on it, and he starts cussing. I can't believe you're writing this guy a ticket, blah, blah, blah. And he says a cuss word, and the game warden tells him, he said, you really need to watch your mouth. And he says nothing. He said, look, you're on a public road. You can't be cursing like that. And it wasn't bad words. Anyway, the camera guy ends up in handcuffs. Stadler is red. He's about to go berserk. And about that time, Fuzzy, who was laying on the floorboard of the game warden's truck, raises up and starts laughing at Stadler. That was the coolest thing. We actually put that on the show, too, but Craig Stadler got got. I'm just telling you, he was. He just knew he was fixing to get a ticket. It was, it was well, funny. The, the, 
to describe it, he is sliding away from the gun in the video yeah. and trying to get as far away from them as he can, especially when the camera guy starts cussing. You can see yeah. Craig, as you said, get, he's sliding down the bridge. And uh, it, was, it was so funny. And, and it you was, have to go back. And they can still it, it was one of the best ones y'all did. I mean, that was so good. That was a gotcha moment big time. Fuzzy guy on Stadler. And that was, those, those are the times. I mean, just... It's those, it's those stories more than the actual hunt. Oh, it's yeah. It's the stories, the times together. I mean, we did one with Parody. Yep. Uh, that was priceless. You and I did that. And he, he, you know, we had a blast. That was about two or three days of nonstop laughing uh, with with David. But it was fun. It was a great part of the, it was a great part of, of, of me out there with these guys. They had that common, not just golf, but other things to talk about. I think that's the cool part. You mentioned uh, turkey hunting and, and how addictive it is, but uh, what is it that makes turkey hunting so addictive? I mean, I know some of my golf buddies that just love it, and there's not a lot of people, I guess, that truly have the time to turkey hunt because it takes so much time and effort, but what is it that makes it so addictive? Uh, just about anybody, I guess it's probably the competition is what makes the, the golfers love it, that uh, head-to-head, face-to-face uh, competition. You know, I think it's the time of the year, and people people don't seem to have any issue with feathers. You know, everybody, everybody can kind of picture themselves because they eat turkey for Thanksgiving. They can they can picture themselves throwing one over their shoulder and plucking it and cooking it in the oven and all that. But I think it's the interaction, and you know, you're constantly calling and moving, and it's a challenge. It takes a lot of thought. It isn't just like sitting in a you know, a deer blind over a green field, there's a lot of maneuvering that's got to go on. And that just appeals to golfers and people who love the outdoors. You know, one of the best ones we did was with Davis Love. We went over and filmed him turkey hunting. And and uh, he's got one of the biggest turkey call collections you've ever seen. It's phenomenal. And uh, he came out that, uh, that first morning and he had, you know, all the gear and everything. We had this real old, old shotgun didn't say anything and uh, i was like mm, man it's going it's you know i don't know if he can kill one with that it's going to, have to be close anyway it took a couple of days he finally killed one but anyway come to find out the gun belonged to his grandpa and he just mm. he just wanted that to kind of be along with him nobody in his family hunted and fished so we kind of ended up making the show about the gun you know because it was such a part of him and right. after, after that show aired his mom Davis Love, the third's mom, called us and said she had always wondered where he got this fascination and love for hunting and fishing, and she kind of got it now. So I was like, that's a pretty big compliment right there. So. Yeah, that's a cool story. Uh, you know, my parents or my family didn't really hunt. My dad's uh, brothers, I think they did a little bit in Pennsylvania when they uh, were younger and actually as adults, but um, my wife, Sissy's, Uncle Roy, Roy Beeks from Leland, gave me my first rifle. It's a 308 Browning, made in Belgium, and and it's the coolest gun. And he always kind of wanted me to get into deer hunting. I mean, I was a duck hunter and didn't really kind of do any duck deer hunting, but we had all this beautiful land, and it just nobody ever was out there. So he he gave me that first rifle, and I still have that to this day, and it's an incredible uh, gift, and it's something I'll always cherish. But uh, you know, let's pick your brain a little bit. It's the off season, and, and just trying to catch up, find out what you're doing this time of the season, other than sneaking out, playing a little golf at uh, uh, Old Waverly or Mossy Oak. But what are you up to uh, this during this off season? Probably editing some videos, or just kind of enjoying yourself. Yeah, you know, this is. Uh, I got to where I've got a farm now, and I love to plant corn 
or soybeans. I usually don't plant soybeans because the deer I eat them before they get, you know, tall enough. But I love to kind of get some summer stuff ready on the farm for the deer. And planting corn's a big deal. I never thought I could do it. I finally figured it out. And it's quite the process for me when you do it by yourself because I don't have all that big equipment. I have to, you know, pick out a place, mow it, maybe spray it, get the grass dead, then I disc it, and then I run over it with a tiller, and I plant it with a drill, which is a – look, it's a process, but it, it always comes up, and it's always beautiful. So I'm always dealing with that and starting to mow grass around the pond and all that kind of stuff. And it won't be much longer. We'll be getting, you know – the the grandsons are still pretty young they're like 12 and 10 and cranky's eight or getting fixed to be nine and they they'll shoot crossbows and we'll go camping and stuff like that but it's uh summertime's kind of a you know a golf time at my at my place i don't do a lot of you know 3d shoots and all that kind of stuff i got all three of the grandsons in it and we you know they uh they love cranky especially loves going to old waverly we we have played the moss hill course it's just breathtaking but they love making that turn at old waverly because we still have a membership out there and he loves running up to that ice cream machine you know after he plays nine that's his favorite deal Mine too. oh man they love that place out there and they've both been in the golf schools out there and i told her it's like i told her mom and dad i said look they, they may not have the skills and i got to tell a skill story before i get out here but i said golf is something that i've used in my whole life because people are shocked when they find out I play golf, but we've done more business on the golf course than I have in a boardroom personally, because mm-hmm. everybody plays golf. And even if they're not a, a 15 handicapper, they need to be comfortable in that environment. They need to know the rules. My uncle Bill used to make me, I could pull his bag with him and all that, but I learned everything I needed to know about the correct way to handle yourself before I ever started playing when to pull the flag and when not to move and when and i want them to all know that just so they can use it in their life moving forward but it's uh yeah kind of like it's kind of like you said teaching honey i mean it's it's the same thing in golf you gotta have a mentor and it's usually a parent or a grandparent or somebody like that that passes that along because it's not just drop your kids off at the golf course and let them go play and let's pro teach them it's not a rec center uh, and I, I mean, it's time you can spend with them, that priceless time. Don't you think that you get to spend with your kids or your grandkids? Absolutely. I, I knew that I wasn't going to be able to teach them the fundamentals. I didn't want I didn't want to try to teach them the fundamentals because I didn't learn them right. I could teach them those rules and the etiquette stuff and how to be polite. And it's, a, it's the same thing about hunting. You got to have self-reliance. You got to have respect. You got to have... Uh, a, a little bit of competition in you. It's a great, it's a great game for that. But I knew. Let me tell you when it all came to fruition for me. When I knew I wouldn't be able to teach him, we were shooting a commercial with Jim Gallagher Jr. for the state of the state of Mississippi yep. Department of Tourism. You, I don't know how much of this you remember, but we were on number. I think it was number five or six at Old Waverly, par four. Landed on the hill. We go down. There's a pond down there greens up on and you were you had one line and we had three cameras rolling and you were you had a three wood and you drop a ball on the ground and hit that three wood and deliver a line hit that three wood deliver a line and you did it like six times and they were all great takes but you know back then we were like "Eh, let's do one more 
Well, anyway, we got through, and I drove down there to pick those balls up, and I could literally put my towel over all six that were down the hill, which was like 80 yards further than I could hit my driver. And I told Toxie, I said, I don't know how good you got to be on the PGA Tour, but that's pretty good right there. So That's one big towel you had. <laughs> yeah, no, it wasn't either, buddy. I, I'll never, ever forget walking down there going – I, I don't know what I'm playing, but it ain't golf, apparently. So. Very impressive. Well, we to, and we had well, such, we had such a great time. Because when we got through, you said, hey, I gotta go, I'm got to go. i going to go do a practice round. Anybody want to go play? And I was like, I jumped all over that. And yeah, I'm sure yeah. nobody wanted to go because they were, hey, man, this guy's Ryder Cup. I said, I, I guarantee you we ain't going to talk about nothing but hunting and fishing, and that's what we did. Yeah, you mentioned – Mossy Oak and the golf course, which is across the street from Old Waverly, and in Mossy Oak, the, the Camel Company or your, uh, your company is big time involved. Why and how did you all get involved in in that uh, project with Mr. Brian? And and uh, uh, it's awesome that you're involved. It kind of shows the crossover of golf and hunting. But why did Mossy Oak get involved in uh, uh, in such a different project outside of what you normally do? You know, Toxie furnished a little bit of the heavy equipment out there on the front end. This was all Mr. Bryan's deal, and he he loves the conservation part of nature and hunting and what we stand for and all that. And he wanted to incorporate that name, Mossy Oak. That, that's a great golf name too, on top mm-hmm. of everything else. But he, he and plus he and Toxie are good friends, and he just wanted us involved. And uh, so we, you know, we we were kind of responsible for some of the early heavy moving heavy lifting if you if you get to it before they you know got you know gil hans and all those people in there we we did some of that stuff but a lot of it's the marketing and we help market that to our 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 audience because again it's a huge crossover if you look at the number of people that hunt and fish who also play golf the number's enormous that crossover is bigger than any other thing so we kind of market that to our people while they market it to the golf world, and it's such an honor, you know, because you know what that golf course is like. It's, it's pretty phenomenal. And to have Old Waverly across the street, it's, it's become a golf destination as it should. You know, one of the unique features of Mossy Oak, the golf course, is it has very few trees. There's an old dairy farm and, and has the rolling hills and a few creeks going through it. And, you know, Gilhans, you know, they came in and, and did a great job of just using, you know, the natural terrain like the old architects did, the old golf courses we've seen that are, you know, several uh, all over the country that are 100 years old. They used the land and did kind of make mounds and that but it's uh, a really a beautiful place and that's why they call it nature's golf uh, and you can hit it in some some wild areas if you get it offline but it's a beautiful golf course a lot of fun and it's it's completely different than than old waverly and i think that's what makes it unique it's, like you said such a great destination but it's not the first time that mossy oak got into uh, uh into golf he actually had to me and my involvement with me in the in the uh, state of Mississippi tourism, we brought out a camouflage bag and we had the breakup uh, and the shadow grass uh, patterns in two different bags. And I remember the first time I brought it out was in Atlanta at the TPC at Sugarloaf, and I was all excited and I was playing there. And I look at the pairings and on Tuesday at noon and it's Tiger Woods and 
Jim Gallagher Jr. and I, I can't quite think who the third is. And I'm thinking, whoa, what a way to, to kind of introduce the bag. And I remember calling Bill Sugg. He says, well, I think you all got your money's worth and we're going to have to start ordering some bags because everybody wants one. It was just really cool to display that bag, uh, you know, out there with everybody. And the crossovers, you said, the people were wondering, hey, how do we get this bag? And and it's really a cool bag. And, and it's now sitting in a Mossy Oak, uh, you know, pro shop. And it's really a cool part of the history and, and how golf and Mossy Oak have been uh, together for a long, long time. Unbelievable. I remember going to Greenwood, too, and looking at your Ryder Cup bag. And, uh, man, it's, it's just crazy. All that, to me, was divine intervention hooking up with you, hooking up with the Golf Channel, rolling the bag out like that. The state of Mississippi had a great campaign with you. Uh, you know, Mississippi tourism, hunting and fishing, that's such a big part of the state right there, and you were such a great spokesperson for that. And they, they chose right getting somebody from the, the golf world instead of somebody from the hunting and fishing world because they, they, they rode you like a government mule on that, and it was a great ad campaign. Man, you did that well. I can remember following you down there in Jackson at the, the PGA event. You were carrying the bag down there as long as I could keep up. I didn't keep up with you all very long, but that thing was stunning. I don't remember who made it, but it was a stunning bag, and it, it, it got more rise from people than anything else out there. Yeah, the company Burton made that golf bag. They were out of Alabama. They actually made the Ryder Cup bag uh, that I had uh, over at the Belfry, and it was just a beautiful bag they made for us. The patterns really were actually matched up perfectly. My name was in gold lettering that how I had signed it, so I thought that was a cool part of it as well. But it uh, it was really neat to be able to represent a state that I've moved in and I've lived here over half my life. Everybody's embraced me and kind of adopted me and. You know, growing up in Indiana, I, I still got a lot of, you know, friends and, and, and people that support me up there. But it, the people here in this state have been incredible. You and Toxie and everybody at Mossy Oak, Mr. Bryan at Old Waverly, and, and, and everybody has always embraced me and my family. And it's just been a special part of my life. And, and I just really appreciate the, those friendships we've had. And, uh, and my son Thomas worked over at Mossy Oak, as I said, and, and stayed there for several years. And my son-in-law, Cage, work with you all so it's been uh, a big part of our family and we just appreciate uh, those friendships because i can't thank you enough for being part of the podcast i appreciate your friendship i appreciate uh, everybody like i said mossy oak that's been fantastic with uh, me and my family and as i always like to end the show is uh, whether in life or golf you gotta may have only one shot and you gotta make it count and you guys have made it count and uh, it's been a very special relationship and one i'll always cherish and appreciate you being with us Hey, God bless you. And, you know, uh, you know what we admire, uh, admire about you more than anything is how you've handled your family and your career. And you're an inspiration to us. And we, uh, I would love to play golf again. So keep me posted. Keep my cell phone number handy, brother. I'd love to do it again. <laughs>